Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Football across nine states and 60 sticks. Thank you all for making that possible. If we get in the DeLorean and go back to 1989 to the draft, four of the first five picks made the Hall of Fame. Now, it's just a gargantuan, silly number, but if you look at the number of Hall of Famers throughout the first round, throughout the draft, the Pro Bowlers, all of this stuff, 1989, you're like, what in the world was going on? It was the first year juniors were in the draft. And so it's the first, and you can only do this once. It's the first year that you basically had two amounts of first-round caliber players in one draft. And so the talent, it was plenty. Um, Senior Bowl's got underclassmen for the first time. That's not nothing. Want to welcome on right now. Oh, man, we always love having on executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. It is Jim Nagy. Jim, welcome back, friend. How you doing? I'm doing great, Chuck. I love I love the intro, man. I love looking back on that Barry Sanders, Deion Sanders draft. That was uh, that was an all timer. Yeah, and there was the legal threat where Barry's like, "Yeah, the only time I heard Barry speak, yeah, I'm going pro," um, and it was because <laughs> Oklahoma State had recruited themselves onto probation, and he was like, "I got nothing to come back for," and they're like, "All right, just you." And then it was on, and juniors were in the draft. Um, talk about juniors <laughs> or underclassmen. Uh, in the Senior Bowl because that's a really larger talent pool to draw from. It sure is. No, it's it's a big shift for us. It, the, you know, the 32 clubs had been pushing for that change for a lot of years, um, and the league office finally finally relented and, and pulled the trigger on it this year. They People ask, you know, did that catch you off guard? Did that change your process this year? It did not. Um, the league office gave us a heads up in August about it, that they were thinking about it. Um, so our scouts were out in the fall and, and watching all the juniors, and we were stacking the board accordingly with all those juniors. So once they once they made the call in early November, um, it, you know, it was uh, it was kind of business as usual. It definitely changed um, the invite process, though, in terms of we still had to wait it out to see who was going to declare for the draft. Um, so, like, instead of it, it just inviting 120 seniors right out of the chute, yep. we had to save, save some roster spots at every position. And, uh, and again, what made that a little easier, you don't wait till January and not have any idea all these kids, as you know, have agents now for NIL. So we were we were having you know back channeling this you know with the agents and had a pretty good idea of which guys were going to leave and which guys were going to stay and which guys were interested in playing in the Senior Bowl and which ones, you know, guys that would be locked top 10, 15 picks might pass on it. But uh, it definitely changed our process. Week from Saturday, Reese's Senior Bowl at USA's fancy new crib down in Mobile. Uh, and talk about that a little bit. The Hancock-Whitney Stadium in Mobile for the USA Jags. Um, that I, ha- I read that it was described by one of the coaching staffs or one of the guys with the NFL teams that this is an NFL facility. It's smaller, 
but this is an NFL caliber facility. Before we talk about some of the players involved in this year's game, talk about the switch in venues because Lad Peebles, wild historical, uh, this is a whole different ball game, man. A total game changer, Chuck. And I think we're we're going into year four out there. I mean, our first year was the COVID year. Um, we had our game. We could only go to 25% capacity for that game. Yep. But, but no, it's it's been a total game changer. You've got all these all these great players coming from Alabama and Clemson and you know Columbus, Ohio and Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we all know what the arms race, the facilities arms race in college football has been over the years for recruiting. And then we were bringing them down here to Mobile for the Senior Bowl and putting them in an 80 year old again historic facility and and again we 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 love that stadium and and, and a lot of great players played there and a lot of great history there um but it just wasn't it it wasn't working so uh, so we it was it was a blessing it was a blessing that south alabama built a a beautiful new stadium on their campus and um it has been a game changer even practice now chuck if you haven't been down i know you've been at the senior bowl a bunch of times but if you haven't been in the last four years even practice has a vibe i mean you got the jumbotron you got led ribbons you got music blaring and there's just like there's there's an energy to practice um that that there never was in the past so it is it is it is um it has really evolved the game all right um i've heard that the offensive line it may be the deepest group there with first rounders galore we'll get to that but we're going to talk quarterbacks first um and i do at least want to start off the beaten path with the quarterbacks talk about the opportunity for michael pratt the kid from tulane because He's as talented as anybody, and he's done well on his stage, but he's one of those programs that unless your team is playing Tulane, you might not have watched him much. Yeah, I just got off a radio show in Boston, um, and obviously the Patriots are, are probably going to be in the quarterback market at number three. And uh, the, the host of the show went over all the quarterbacks except Michael Pratt, <laughs> which Ow. tells you, um, you know, the outside world, they're, they're not onto this guy yet. And I think they will be. I think by the time we get to the end of the process, they will be. Um, I think Michael's an NFL starter. You know, when you're, when you're working for a team, I mean, you are, is the guy backup? Is he a starter? Forget about rounds. Like, let's just throw the round conversation out you know what what is he going to be for our team and then once you establish the guys you think he's going to be a starter okay and then now let's start talking what levels of starter is he a guy you can win with is he a guy that you go to championships with um michael pratt's going to start i i can say that and what he what he did there at tulane just raising the the, the program um you know back you know, years ago 25 years ago when i started scouting that used to be a thing you know we used to really weigh that heavily the quarterback yep. could lift a program and i always use the brett Favre example that you know goes in and beat beats bobby bowden seminoles and, and beats alabama like that it hit southern miss um, you don't hear that talk a lot anymore, but what Michael Pratt did, you know, leading that team last year to a cotton bowl win head to head against Caleb Williams, you know, they almost went undefeated with him this year. I mean, they're only lost to Ole Miss in the regular season was where he didn't play in it. So, um, and they kept it close. So no, he's, he's a guy that's still flying under some radars, but I don't think he will be coming out of senior bowl week. And as, as we work to, as we work towards April. All right, I'm going to give you an opinion about Joe Milton, and you can tell me, oh, no, 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 Chuck, that the way off base, this is the real case. Um, I kept talking about, I don't know, four or five weeks into the season, I kept bringing up, I was like, when is Josh Heupel going to start showing some confidence in Joe Milton? Like, when is Josh going to start calling the shot plays? Um, I don't – people asked what was wrong with the offense. I was like, he ain't calling the plays the same. Um, tell me your download of Joe Milton, because obviously you look at him and go, all right, the physical's there. Um, what about consistent production? Why wasn't that there always? 
Well, I'll say this. You know, he got in there at, at the end of last year when Hen and Hooker went down and, and lit it up for a couple games. And, and what was the difference this year? They they didn't have Cedric Tillman and they didn't have Jalen Hyatt. So he lost he lost two legitimate, you know, what, whatever whatever those downfield guys, guys. Second, third yep. round. He lost he lost a couple day two receivers, um, which is which is a big blow. But. But yeah, I mean, is he the finished product for a guy that's been in college football that long? No, I mean he's he's really been a one-year starter. Um, but I'll say this: we all know he's got a, a rocket launcher for an arm. I, I saw him at the Manning camp this summer. You know, unleash a ball that whatever it was, 86, 87 yards across the field. Um, it was it was unbelievable. Um, but if Anthony Richardson goes fourth overall from the from the from the Florida Gators last year at 13 starts, I'm not saying this guy's going fourth overall. I'm just saying there's there's talk out there that this guy's going to, you know, tumble in the draft and you know get into the later rounds. I don't see that happening. Joe Milton's a he's got stuff you can't coach, and that's what all these coaches want. And he's got you, you saw him at SEC media days. The kid's got ton of charisma. Um, he's got leadership. He's got a rocket launcher for an arm. So someone's going to take a shot on that. Like, I always think of it this way: Are are you going to take a backup guard in the fourth round or are you going to take a shot on Joe Milton? Um, you know, something like that. So I'm excited to see Joe down here. I think this is going to be a big week for him. All right. I've been told by folks in the game that Indianapolis, I, like the medical is as much as anything up there um, in college, like with Michael Penix, you're only committed to a kid for a year or two or three anyway, and there's no, like, bad contract to get the GM fired. In the NFL, there is. How much does Michael Penix's, like, the injury and then the other injury, um, how much does the medical with Michael Penix uh, still matter? It's going to matter. It always it always matters. You always look at a player's track record, but the fact that he's made it through the last two years healthy, I think that's a good thing. Um, it's uh, trending in a positive direction. Um, but it's that's going to be the case for a couple of our guys. Leatu Latu from UCLA, uh, who a lot of people think is the best pass rusher in the draft, myself included, um, he had a neck condition when he was at, at Washington that just medically disqualified him, and, and he goes to UCLA, and they cleared him, and, and, and here we are. I, I think it only takes one out of 32 I, I think is the best way of saying it um and Brett Favre was was medically disqualified by a lot of teams when he was coming out and he ends up being the the all-time Iron Man so um I just think you know it's going to be a little bit of the roll of the dice when you've got a, a thick injury file um and all it takes is, is one or two teams and, and he'll be fine but yeah it's going to be scrutinized so I'm down there, whatever the year Eric Fisher was there, and I was like, that kid looks pretty good. And one of the scouts from the Falcons was like, I think he's going to be the first overall pick. Um, talk about <laughs> talk about this year's class of offensive line, because apparently there could be like, what, seven, eight first-round picks in Mobile maybe? I, I think so, Chuck. You know, I, my first year uh, I was here was a 2019 game uh, six years ago, and uh, we had five first-run offensive linemen in that game. I think we could surpass that this year. It's a, the juniors helped. Um, going back to the junior conversation, they they certainly helped. I mean, we, we, we got, you know, three or four legitimate guys on the offensive line out of that junior class. But the tackle group is is really solid this year. Uh, you're going to be able to get a starting left tackle into the late first, maybe early second round. We saw the Falcons last year take Matthew Bergeron from, from Syracuse and plug him right in there and get 16 starts out of him, yep. you know, as a second-round pick. I think you're going to have that kind of depth. And, and really the, guy, the, the two guys right now that could go in the top, 
top 10 by the time we get to April. I would say Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma um, is, is is probably the most talented left tackle in the draft. Olu Fushanu from Penn State and Joe Alt from Notre Dame are the two names out there, and they're great players, taking nothing away. Tyler's got a higher ceiling. And then Talise Fawaga from Oregon State, who's already in a bunch of these mock you know mock draft top 10 lists. Um, those two guys are are – but yeah, got probably got the chance to be our two highest two highest drafted players along with Latu from UCLA who I just mentioned. Reese's Pieces, just about one of the best things on earth, and uh and Bart bring <laughs> us the senior bowl. Jim, I appreciate you coming on, friend. Thank you. Yeah, Chuck, good catching up. All right, Jim Nagy, executive director, Reese's Senior Bowl. Reese's Pieces, I don't know what it is. It's a hard candy shell with a peanut butterish I mean it's not, you know, flying the space shuttle. Man, they figured that out. Like, they took the M&M's sort of thing from M&M's to a degree. Different candy, obviously. But just an amazing product. One weird thing, Chuck. You remember they launched it with E.T.? Remember oh, that? yeah, in the movie, like 82 or whatever, 81, that, 82. That yeah. was the whole deal. That was E.T. was like addicted to the, uh, the, Reese's, the Reese's pieces. pieces there. You remember what the deal was originally supposed to be for that movie? Oh, no. What well, Regarding Reese's Pieces? The original product placement was supposed to be that he was going to be addicted to florida orange juice and the orange juice people turned it down and so it wound up being reese's pieces instead i think it probably worked out better for everybody involved though i can't i can't see him sticking the finger and like magically drinking up the orange juice i'm not sure that works nearly as well i don't know hard to leave orange juice lying around in the bushes for the alien a lot of people do chicken sandwiches chick-fil-a does it better a lot of people do peanut butter Reese's got to figure it out. So, um, and oh, and by the way, this is not like just free product placement. Uh, Jim Nagy, he'll, he'll pass that stuff around like butter. Um, so if you see Jim, you can probably get a little pack of, uh, Reese's from him as well, but, uh, just always good stuff down there in Mobile. And got the game coming up in a week and a half, uh, next Saturday there, uh, on the campus of South Alabama, um, at their bright, shiny new stadium, which, uh, I've been to it and it's just, it's an outstanding facility. So we're gonna take a break, continue with more of the Chuck Oliver show next. college football time in the south now back to more of the king of college football chuck oliver on southern sports today has been one thing missing from all this coaching turnover in college which is supposed to happen when november like 19th it starts because somebody wants to get a jump like one saturday ahead and then that Thanksgiving weekend, it's like the baptism scene in The Godfather. I mean, there's coaches just like left and right. But it's supposed to be over. Do you remember the year? I think it was UConn. Not because the NFL hired away Bob Diaco. I want to say UConn, for no good reason, waited until like January 8th to fire its head coach. It's like, why didn't you do this six weeks ago? Anyway. All of this coach, you know, there's one thing missing from this two and a half weeks of fruit basket turnover at the top of the college football food chain. Do you know what that one thing that's missing? Jim Harbaugh has it left, folks. It's kind of funny. If we go back to, I think it was two weeks ago today was Saban's announcement. I have my show notes that day. 
I started the show with, folks, Harbaugh leaving is just going to be the tip of the iceberg. Now, I expect Sharon Moore will get that job. But the speculation is Minner goes with him, and so D.C. at Michigan versus head coach in G5, and where do they go? There was going to be a little bit of unfolding of that. But there's always the chance that someone other than Moore became head coach, and it's because Moore, I don't know, went to the NFL, which I, whatever, something, I don't know. I don't, I don't care. Maybe they fire Venables, and he goes home to coach at his alma maters. I, I don't know. I don't think Brent Venables is going to be fired. Not right now. But for whatever it was, I said, after Harbaugh leaves, because now two weeks later, do you know what I'll still say? Jim Harbaugh is not coaching at Michigan any longer. He may come back around later because he's still a relatively young man. I will say, Heath, what do you think Jim Harbaugh is? Don't tell me. I'm going to say he's 59 years old. 60. He's 60 years old. No, he ain't coming back around. Um, he looks young, and he has youthful enthusiasm and a lot of energy. I think, don't you imagine with Harbaugh, that's a lot more Red Bull than Insure. Oh, yeah. Well, he's a, he's a milk guy. He'll tell you that it's steak and whole milk that keeps him going. Yeah, uh, okay. So, <laughs> he's he's you not skeptical, Chuck. At 60, I t- he's not going to come back around to Michigan, except, like, Steve Spurrier's at Florida now. Which we may have, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, Steve Spurrier at Florida now, he, he came back around, but just to go to games and wave on the field and be an advisor, my gosh, Steve Spurrier as an advisor, gimme, 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 gimme. Recruiting? Chasing 17-year-olds? No. No, Steve Spurrier's not doing that. So the one thing missing from all this is Harbaugh hasn't actually left remember several years ago someone was talking about a comeback for mariah carey and i was like don't you have to leave at some point like she won't leave like it's not over the top success but she's always kind of present um jim harbaugh folks it's gonna work wherever he goes into the nfl but he's got to leave first he hadn't left so all of this has happened for two solid weeks and it's not over because he is going to leave. And the reason I brought this up is this morning, the Chargers are all hot and bothered, and they think it's done. Like, it's yesterday's paper, whereas Atlanta is thinking that, well, we've got a second interview with him. Uh, and maybe they do. But Jim Harbaugh is not going somewhere where there ain't no quarterback. Um, but he's going somewhere. That's my opinion. So this coaching thing is still not over. What up, Heath? Yeah, it's interesting, Chuck. Building off of that uh, this morning, got a chance to talk with uh, Chris Mortensen, formerly of ESPN, who, of course, is still very connected oh, sure, sure. in the NFL ranks. And uh, he says that from what he understands, Harbaugh's interest in the Falcons is a lot more generous than uh, maybe people imagine it to have been, that maybe the Falcons were just sort of a, well, this will tell the Chargers there is somebody else who will hire me, so it's not just a matter of if I want to come in the NFL, it's with you. Uh, Mortensen at least maintains that Harbaugh does have okay. legitimate interest. And the thing he said, Chuck, about the quarterback was that Harbaugh loves J.J. McCarthy, so if you'd be willing to let him draft J.J. McCarthy to be his quarterback, maybe that solves that conundrum. So an interesting thought anyway. Um and along those lines, and I don't know this because I don't know these people, but Dean Spanos is the owner of the Chargers. And he and his, I guess, the family that has run the team for however many decades, 
they are known as a pretty cheap family running that franchise. And so you may need some sort of either psychological semi-public leverage to get a dollar out of them. Um, but my understanding, have you heard that? Like Mark Davis, I've heard with Oakland or with LA, with Vegas, I, like the Raiders, until they moved to Vegas, they were just a like cash poor franchise. I've heard that the Chargers are just cheap. Yeah, it's a little different story because, again, in the case of uh, Davis, I mean, his family, the only big money they have is the franchise. Yep. Yep. So the minute he sells it, if he ever does, he's rich beyond it's all belief. Year-to-year profits is all they had, though. But, yeah, they, they literally live off of what they kill, basically, there with the Raiders when it comes to the uh, the Davis source of income. Yeah, but Alex Spanos ran a tight ship, apparently, when it came to a dollar. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my understanding, too, is that, I mean, look, uh, last year you had a guy in, in Sean Payton who did everything possible to try and attract their attention. That yes, that's absolutely. He be, and they not only didn't fire their coach, but part of it was they also weren't going to come off the wallet the way they needed to, 15 to mil actually or, get you know. Sean Payton. So, yeah, we'll see whether or not they uh, they at any point actually get it done with Harbaugh. So, Chuck, uh, Brad Crawford, who we've had on the show a bunch of times through the years, uh, Brad Crawford put out what I thought was an interesting piece where he named seven coaches – and the question he put out there was, who's the next coach to win his first national championship? And the guy he put at the top of his list was Ryan Day for the obvious reason that you know, the Buckeyes have obviously every year got themselves in contention to begin with and with the way they're loading up this year, that maybe this is the year for Day. He went Day, then Sarkeesian, then Dan Lanning, then Lane, Mike Norvell, Brian Kelly, and then DeBoer as the seventh guy on his list for next coach to win his first national championship. I think Brian Kelly's too low there, Chuck. Um, he just got done talking to Shea Dixon, obviously, uh, earlier in the program. LSU is not perfect, but it is a place where a good coach can win. And we know this because a couple of guys who, as head coaches, I don't think were particularly good have won national titles there. Uh, Kelly, the whole reason he came to LSU was to win a national title. I don't know, man. I, 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 there's not a chance on this earth I put Lane Kiffin ahead of Brian Kelly on the list of who's going to win a national title first. I think Kelly's being underrated now. Do they require that Lane Kiffin do it at Ole Miss? I mean, theoretically, it could be anywhere, I guess. Yeah, because you can't win a national championship at Ole Miss. That was my thought as well. Yeah. Um, and so that's just the reality of it. Um, this is not... 1961 or whenever um it's just when you listen to the radio and you know hope the signal came in um this is big time business and that means the more you can be in that business environment which lsu is versus the old miss program more likely you are to succeed at the highest level Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Now we call you Tom. 
Call college football on Chuck Oliver Show. Kirby Smart's introductory press conference in Athens. This is a quote. We got too many little guys. He needed a tackle, an offensive tackle. So he bit real hard, and he went to Rhode Island and got this kid named Tyler Catalina, who I'll give him credit. He started a left tackle in the SEC and had some good moments and bad moments, but Kirby needed a tackle. And so he had to take the desperate measure of getting a transfer. Yeah, ain't what it is anymore. It's almost like picking your free agent class. Years ago when the Eagles signed Javon Curse and Terrell Owens in the same, I was like, oh, my gosh. That's what teams are doing now, except it's at the college level. I want to welcome on right now. Man, he does it in big way. On 3.com is Jesse Simonton. Jesse, welcome back to the program. How are you today? Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. Doing well. Uh, let's talk about uh, Ohio State's acquisitions. Um, on the player side, superstar running back, potential superstar quarterback, a starting quarterback, a lineman. They got a big giant safety. Um, this is uh, this is intentional. This is not just let's collect some players. Like they're driven to a certain goal here. Is this the Michigan thing? It sure, it sure seems like a fire's been lit. You know, whether it's losing three straight times to your, uh, you know, chief rival, or then watching that said chief rival and the, the 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 team that shall not be named, the team up north, win the national championship. Ryan Day. Uh, he's going all in, you know, in 2024. And, you know, they're one of these programs that they can go all in every season, whereas you're seeing a, a, a team like Ole Miss or maybe Missouri kind of push their chips in for next year too. But that's, that's not going to be an annual thing for those programs. Ohio State has the resources where they can go all in. And so the fact that they can grab a five-star quarterback like Julian Sayan from Alabama is just kind of a luxury item. You get a Caleb Downs, the number one player probably to ever enter the transfer portal that's not a quarterback. Ryan Day's going for it. The pressure's on, but he seems to be kind of willing to accept it. And With all the guys they have returning, it wouldn't surprise anyone for them to be ranked either one or two when all the preseason polls come out. National columnist, college football for on three, it's Jesse Simonton. Uh, I was talking before you came on that there's one thing missing from all this coaching carousel the past two weeks. Jim Harbaugh hasn't actually left. Um, I'm just waiting for it. I'm not even really checking in on it because I know it's going to happen at some point. Um, am I being too presumptive there? What does is, what is Jesse Simonton think? Are, are you also expecting it just to happen when it happens? Well, uh, by happenstance, Chuck, I encourage your listeners to go to On3 and read a column I have that just dropped earlier this morning, Um, and it's about Harbaugh and kind of Michigan's next steps. And, yeah, I fully believe and have believed since since before the season that this would be Jim Harbaugh's last year in Ann Arbor. It was kind of one of my bold predictions. I did a revisited piece. Uh, about a, a week or two ago, and that was the only one that was still TBD because we're, we're all kind of waiting for it. I do think you know he's been fawning for the NFL for years. I think the opportunity's there, um, whether it's the Chargers or somewhere. I think you know he's going to find a landing spot. And the most natural move for Michigan, especially in light of what's happened at Alabama, uh, Washington, and Arizona, I think is for them to promote Sharon Moore. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be a tricky transition there, and that's kind of what – the columns about over it on three, but I think that Michigan has a guy in house that that's there and ready to replace Jim Harbaugh. He has almost as many wins in a single season as an interim head coach in four games against top 10 teams, which is two 
and James Franklin has in over 10 years at Penn State. So Michigan has a guy on staff to replace Jim Harbaugh. The question is what happens if they lose Jesse Minner, the defensive coordinator, who's likely off to the NFL. Is the strength and conditioning coach, which has been so crucial, is he going to follow Jim Harbaugh? So there could be still be some, you know, tricky transition period there, even if Sharon Moore is ready and willing to be in-house. Couple more minutes, Jesse Simonson on three. Okay, if we go back uh, to whatever July 1st was, 21, I guess, uh, when name, image, likeness, we cut that ribbon. It was two rules. Can't be used for recruiting, and it can't reward on-field play. Well, that was kind of funny. Um, when does this get either funneled or boiled down or guardrailed or like when is there some sort of order to these these cats that are just running around everywhere? Well, I'll, you know, I spent a good bit of time in Nashville about two weeks ago at the ASEA Coaches Convention and had a big piece that came out on Monday um, with a lot of anonymous coaches. Finally, instead of just kind of griping, and several coaches, Matt Rule, Rhett Lashley, some others, on the record, but a lot of personnel and folks off the record talking to people. And instead of kind of griping like they do, which is easy to do, a lot of them finally kind of were offering actual solutions. And while they may have different ideas on what that looked like, the parameters at least were basically, we've got to go to contracts. We're barreling towards the inevitable here. Let's accept it. We're willing to give up, you know, quote unquote, a piece of the pie uh, for some peace in the off season, and, and that's not going to be the solve all. It's not going to end everything in terms of tampering and, and whatnot. But it would, I think, alleviate a lot of problems with both the transfer portal and NIL if players were contractually, you know, whether it's in a collective bargaining agreement, whether it's you know they actually are deemed employees of the school or the conference. That is where we're headed, uh, <clears throat> and probably quickly. To, to finally fix some of the ills that they're in the current landscape of college football. All right, let's talk biggest picture possible for a couple of programs here. What is Clemson? Where are they? Because I think I know, and it's not a national championship contender anymore, and it's getting more and more difficult. But where do you think? Because there's a lot of right. There's a lot of good in place there. Tell me what do you think the next year, two, three, five is for Dabo and that program? Well, I know the stock market's high right now, and Dabo's out here saying that you know folks need to buy stock Bye. in Clemson. I am, I, I, I'm, I'm, I would say hold. <laughs> you know, I don't think you have to sell it because I think the ACC is still going to be fairly muddled next year. You know, if TBD on Miami, can Cristobal actually turn those recruiting wins into actual wins on Saturday? Where is Florida State going to be without Jordan Travis and some of those NFL guys? I think Clemson is going to be right there, but be right there just means a competitive ACC team. I don't see them as a national championship contender, especially considering, as we just kind of touched on the transfer portal, they continue to either swing and miss or just completely ignore holes on their roster by not making additions when every other program in the country um, is using it at least as a patchwork, you know, uh, for, for some for, for issues that you can't solve on the recruiting trail. So I am not overly confident that Clemson's going to be a national championship contender again, um, not, not anytime soon at least. And Auburn, because Auburn occupies an interesting spot. Um, they have not been just a regular program for about 40, 45 years, and they're now in an – every team has – you know, every program has individual car crash seasons, but – 
they're in an extended like this is an Auburn fan's existence now for three four years um where's that program going yeah I mean I, I was on Twitter earlier and Lane's out here Lane Kiffin's out here still kind of trolling the Tigers and, and that that seems to be one of his favorite offseason hobbies I think what Hugh has done off the field has been has been impressive you know the recruiting class you land a bunch of five stars um, they believe they've kind of improved the coaching staff, even though they've lost some big names like Cadillac Williams uh, and others. I, I'm just kind of skeptical because the quarterback position really still hasn't been addressed there. So how good can they be in 2024? Right now, it sort of seems like they're kind of waiting to see who they get in 25, and that's going to be kind of the real tell-all season about where that program is going to go under Hugh Freeze. I kind of lied because, well, I mean, I had questions about Auburn and Clemson. I'll, I'll go, I don't think I have a question about Florida. This ain't going to work. Um, that's, that's my conclusion. Uh, give me a conclusion for Billy Napier, like after three or four or five seasons versus where I am after two seasons. Well, Florida's best hope next year is that they kind of, Napier's able to pull a rabbit out of his hat with with five star DJ quarterback DJ Lagway, and they're able to you know exceed expectations against perhaps the hardest schedule we've ever seen yep. in college football. Um, I, I am in agreement with you. I think they've kind of reached an impasse here, where you know if they didn't have that schedule, frankly, Chuck, I, I would it would not surprise me at all if they had made a move. Um, but I don't think you want to slap a, a, a first-year head coach, you know, with potentially losing seven or eight games. Um, but if Napier can navigate that, and it is a huge if, that if is doing a lot of, you know, heavy lifting there. But if he can navigate that schedule next season, and perhaps, you know, his, his idea and blueprint, um, you know, his own process, so to speak, will, will be given a chance to actually, you know, see it to fruition but i am i am quite skeptical that that's going to be the case five straight saturdays georgia texas lsu ole miss florida state i call miss deal like i'm sorry i i need a new shuffling of this and that's after the first half with miami and a&m and tennessee like you're right this is a death march coming up in 24 uh appreciate the inside as always thank you jesse thanks Chuck. on three national columnist if you haven't and we talked about it after the non-division scheduling was announced and how every existing SEC program would play either Texas or Oklahoma. Then we got the SEC schedule reveal, which was actually what a schedule reveal is supposed to be. Folks watching, again, in five and a half months, we'll play these games. Or a year from now, we'll play these games. Um, when the SEC had its 24 schedule release, not only did we watch, totally enthralled. Why? Because, well, we're, we're O and O. We haven't lost anything yet. Um, and it's exciting to at least think about a road trip or a trip back to campus or a trip to the neutral site or, you know what, the ACC championship. It's fun to think about all that stuff. It wasn't necessarily fun for Florida fans to then play out the reality of this, but you talk about a star-studded affair. Miami, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, Florida State. Folks, you only play 12. That's eight of them. And I don't know. I left out Kentucky and UCF. So I didn't even include some of the 
other very real programs you got to play. It's not going to be good. And there is at least, I will say, it's not a very established history where an SEC team with a losing record has had a bounce-back season on the shoulders of an 18-year-old true freshman quarterback. It hasn't been often that that has happened, especially against the backdrop of one of the toughest schedules in our lifetime. So there's that. And all right, new sentence, like drop down. I'm a big fan of Billy Napier. He knows what he's doing. It's not working, and I don't think it's going to. Now, that's just me cursing the darkness. Light a candle? No, I got nothing. I can't help you at all. I don't know what the answer is, but this isn't working. I don't know if that helps very much, but anyone with a, I don't know, a vote or you're in power or like this isn't going to work. All right. I don't know what you do about it because I don't start all over. Well, that seems counterproductive. Not going to do that. In fact, you're not like literally you're not doing that for 24 but the big picture of the pro- it's not going to work. It's just too far off course. So, and it's just getting difficult. Like I said, it didn't get more difficult. The conference didn't get more difficult for Georgia. It didn't. They'll play Texas or Oklahoma instead of playing whoever they, Tennessee or Auburn or LSU. Let's play one of those teams instead. Didn't get harder for Georgia. Might have got easier. It just got harder for Florida. All right, we break. We will wrap up on this Wednesday next. Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. In the NFL, everybody almost plays it way more umbrella, pass the deep stuff off because those are the plays that can really beat you. And, um... So the second you really start diving down on routes, there's always, you know, you're leaving somebody with maybe outside leverage corner. Now all of a sudden he has no help in the middle of the field. All right, that's Jesse Minner. D.C. at Michigan still by paycheck. But I think he's going to be in the NFL as a D.C. for Harbaugh and then, like, working on his way to be head coach somewhere. That's what I think. Interesting that he's talking about the difference in coverages that you may run and how you attack um, what you have to be on the lookout for wide receiver-wise, passing game-wise, from the opponent in college versus on Sundays. And he's right about that. Folks, there's fifth receivers on NFL teams. Heath, have you ever been on the field for an NFL game? A couple of times. Folks, did it jump out to you? They cut each other in half out there. It is way, 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 way more fast and physical and violent and all of this stuff. The fifth receiver on an NFL team, he was probably two-time all-conference. Um, and so he's saying what he said. And by the way, this is the whole thing. If you want NFL defense in a nutshell, if we're out in the field, we'll give you some yards. You can, in fact, all the yards you want. Get inside the 20, okay, time to get exotic. Time to play a little gorgeous defense. Going to heat you up. That's the NFL. That's what he's talking about. 
keep everything in front because those deep plays, they can really keep everything in front of you. And then when you get in the red zone, okay, now let's dial up something interesting. So I don't know. I thought to me that he is already talking about the differences in those two approaches. Uh, Auburn. I think this is official. Is it official? Will Redman. I'm going to say, I'm going to announce this as a fact. All right. Three, two, one. Auburn has hired LSU director of player personnel, Will Redman. Um, he is very valuable or has been a very valuable piece of the LSU program over there. Very good off field guy helps organize recruiting boards, events, etc. cetera. Uh, and this is being described as a very substantive advantage, a GM, an administrator, a program, a football program administrator, uh, a direction guy for Hugh Freeze at Auburn. This is a big, big positive, a plus, a gain for Auburn. I've also heard that LSU is bringing Austin Thomas back from Ole Miss, and so they're not as concerned about it. Lane was tweeting up a storm earlier today. I don't know if he's heard that too, but uh, apparently that's, I don't know, that could happen. How about I put the, under the pure rumor category, after Will Redman is announced, LSU might hire Back to guy from Ole Miss. Um, how's your Wednesday, Heath? That's good. Yeah, it seems like there might be a little something to that. Going back, the uh, they're they're bringing back some of the old hits there. It appears with the, the staff that they've been putting together with Brian Kelly there at LSU. Uh, Chuck, one of these things, and again, just uh, things come across the radar, get your attention. Ryan Nanny's a guy. We might even have him on the show on this column. I don't know, but uh, Nanny is a guy who put together a piece on the worst hires in college football for head coaches since 2000. Now, again, by definition, this is an opinion-based product, but we're talking about since the calendar hit, the, 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 the 1999 goes away, 2000 and on. The worst hire was listed as an SEC hire, Chuck. Derek Dooley? It is not Derek Dooley. Keep going. Give, I'll give you a minute, let you think about it. I will tell you that um, my guy that I would have bet as the worst hire did not make Ron the Zook. list at the uh, at the number five spot. I like Ron Zook, by the way. Do you know him personally? Uh, I, I have conversed with Ron. I wouldn't act like we were uh, buddies. I'm very team. fond of Ron being in the game, but he was not a good. He did not perform well. His teams did not produce. He did not make the list, and uh, some people <sighs> would argue with that point, but here's the thing. For better or worse, while Ron Zook as a head coach did not work out for Florida, Ron Zook laid the groundwork for a national championship team that Urban Meyer put together. If you're talking about a disappointing hire, sure. If you're talking about one of the worst hires of the 20 years, the guy I would have guessed, Chuck, personally, if I was putting it at the list, I would have guessed Charlie Weiss at number one. Just because when Kansas hired him, it was so mystifying to everybody. It's just like, this guy couldn't get it done at Notre Dame, and you think he's going to get it done at can kansas uh, uh, okay and then he proceeded to load up on jucos and and basically left nuclear winter for the next coach to clean up who had no chance of doing it i, I don't know that people still chuck fully appreciate enough the job that's been done there at kansas to resuscitate that program after what Weiss did to them apparently made no effort to be a warm fuzzy either no no a, a guy who's known for being a standoffish personality certainly not a a, fo- a warm friendly face who's going to sell the program uh, it was a horrible hire. That was at number four on the list. I will apologize. I thought we were limited. You said SEC. I thought we were just limited to SEC. I apologize. I was I, I was not clear. No, it's all, all the sport, but the number one hire was an SEC hire. So, again, we'll, we'll give you a minute to think about it more. 
Uh, but I, I did think it was fun just going back through the list and, and saying, wow, some of these, yeah, even at the moment, seemed incredibly bad. Like Steve Adazio to Colorado State. Everybody said simultaneously, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> what, what about Steve Adazio and, and, and Mountain Lifestyle seems like a good fit? That one's on the list at number 10. Uh, you got Coach O at Ole Miss made the list at number 14 there. Uh, Jeff Collins at number 16, uh, very familiar. And Brian Harsinchuk making the list at number 17. He earned uh, it. Again, a hire that at the moment was kind of a head-scratcher. Who we got? The number one worst hire, according to Ryan Nenny of The Messenger, Chad Morris at Arkansas. Four and 18. Oh, wow. Fired midway through the second season. Didn't he lose at home to Western Kentucky by like four touchdowns? Uh, he lost them 45 to 19 with a quarterback who had transferred from Arkansas leading the game Boy. against them. So, yeah. I, that I was don't awful. I agree that it's absolutely and you know the worst, what else? It's up there. He was an arrogant dude at media days. Literally, ain't got time. You don't have time? Well, we're not asking anymore, Coach Morse. Again, you don't have to. You don't have to do it. You're a grown man. It's not required. But I don't know. When you're a first-time ever head coach and you're at Arkansas, and it might be good to press the flesh. But, hey, he'd won, like, you know, in fourth or fifth season at SMU, Chuck. Come on. That's a big time here. Wraps it up on the Wednesday. Back tomorrow. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.